Hey everybody, Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. What you are about to hear is part of my event coverage for the Virtual Indie Games Expo 2020. Big thank you to the event organizers for having me out virtually, of course. You can uh, find a link to them in the show notes to see more of uh, what they're up to and what they're about. In each of these episodes, I will speak to multiple teams who showed off their projects and are doing their thing. It's all very interesting. They're uh, great folks to get to know. So hang out, relax, and enjoy this event coverage. Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Whoa, boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was blue than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. That arcade was my church. I thought I was Rastan, so for evil... So I've been um, developing a game for about seven years now. It's a fast-paced roguelike platformer about uh, an appliance that's trying to escape from a massive circular space station. And um, yeah, should I tell you a little more about it? I I should have started by, uh, I mean, we'll we'll go ahead and roll straight into it, but go ahead and yeah, introduce yourself and introduce uh, the game, however you see fit. Absolutely. Yeah, so my name's Story. I'm the main developer of this game. And like I said, it's a physical roguelike. So really, it's all about um, these fast action situations and the excitement of staying on the knife's edge where everything's trying to kill you in these dangerous situations. And a lot of it times it does, but you learn from your mistakes and you get better at it and get better at reading the situations. And um, also, it's a physics game and it's all about this funny slapstick chaos like explosions are blowing people up and throwing their bodies into other people knocking them over (laughs) and it's just full of traps and sometimes the enemies blunder into the traps too and like you enter a room and it's just a smoking wreck because someone already set off the thing that was (laughs) supposed to kill you So a whole lot of emergent situations and um, surprising things that, you know, sometimes work out in your favor and sometimes get you killed. We like to joke that there's just terrible safety standards on the space station because (laughs) the enemies are always getting killed by like the electrified floors and things. It's also all about um, about cleverly figuring out these situations Like there's wires going to all of these systems that you can cut. You can melt through walls by throwing acid at them. You can light things on fire. And the more you understand, the more you see that there's all kinds of options for getting through these rooms. And I really try to design the game so that there's never just one way to do things. The players can really figure out their own way to survive. And like I said, it's also a super fast game. So while you're figuring out these situations, you have like three different things trying to kill you at once. Um, Another thing about the game is it has a really unusual control scheme. So there's an arm that you control that points towards the mouse, a little bit like getting over it. 
and um, it kind of puts your hand in the game. So you can pick up objects, you can move them in any direction. And like this novel control scheme really lets you um, intuitively do things. Like you can hold an object in front of you that blocks bullets. You can throw the object that knocks over people. You can swing it and like whack people over the head to knock them down or even like cover an electrified floor and furniture and then make a little safe platform for yourself. So it really ties into this idea of problem solving and figuring out your own solutions. Um, I guess the other big thing is it's a really unique, um, unique game shape. So it's a space station and it's a realistic design for a space station where it's a massive circle that's spinning to generate gravity. And this is something I've almost never seen done in a game, so I decided to make it. And, um, you know, because this is a really different setting, there's this real sense of wonder where it's always surprising you. Like sometimes the curvature is really visible and you're running around these circular rooms Sometimes you're so far out from the center that it almost looks like a regular platformer. And the gravity changes too as you go. So like if you're closer to the center of rotation, you can do a lot of acrobatics because it's low gravity. And like that means that there's even more deadly stuff on the floor because you can um, swing around to avoid landing ever. Or like if the gravity is really heavy, you just get yanked out into outer space. <laughs> um, and there's also areas where it's completely weightless. So you're just floating through the air. Um, you can shoot guns to propel yourself. You can throw objects to get some momentum. And you can also run on all of the walls with magnetic feet. So it's always recontextualizing the game and um, turning your expectations on their heads. Very cool. I am simultaneously super impressed by the scope of this and also horrified for you having to do the work to actually implement all of these <laughs> things. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> like I said, it's been seven years in the making and uh, release is uh, early August next year. So we're definitely getting close to the finish line yeah i mean uh in comparison to the uh, time it took to develop that's uh so this is a pretty exciting time uh i feel like people were very impressed by this at the expo definitely one of the head turners there thank you I, i've got to heap some praise on this because there are a few things about this that i love that i don't see nearly enough I love the wide options in the gameplay. That's uh, immediately apparent, and that's great. I like when the enemies can fall into traps in their own environment, because I, don't you feel like that's not present nearly enough in games? I mean, it, it should be oh, like maybe absolutely. a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like one of the most interesting things is being able to use systems against the enemies, because in too many games, it's all about how much damage you do to them, how much damage they do to you. And like, there are, there is a gun you can get, you can run and shoot, but it's not really about running and shooting. It's about being more clever than the things that are trying to kill you. Yeah. And, and I like when a game like this lets the player be smart, 
it's more than just feeling smart in this case. Like you can come up with, it seems like pretty clever ways to do things and uh, not nearly enough of that either. And it's fun because you see different players. um, They all find out like their own unique game styles. And it's so fun watching play tests of this game because they're all so different. Like um, we've been working a lot with the Mario Kaizo community. It's like, really hard um hacked versions of mario and you know these players are extremely skilled platformer players and they focus on you know using that raw skill to just jump through the traps and outrun things a lot of the times whereas some other players we get in there are very deliberate and they'll just sit there thinking about all the systems they're observing and really figure out, okay, how can I use the tools I've got to do something clever and get through this room in a, in a creative way? And um, like the funniest thing I've seen in the game is one player, like within like the first 10 minutes of playing, he found out he could pick up people in the game So forever after, he'd always have a friend with him, like one person he was carrying around everywhere. And, um, you know, he called them his friends. And it didn't matter if they were like a live person or a dead body, as long as it was something he could pick up. And what's funny is that even though... It, it was a humorous situation. It was also really useful just because holding anything in your hand is useful. Like if you have a dead body in your hands, that's a human shield. So like if someone tries to shoot you, they'll hit the body first. Or if you see some robots that are going to attack you, if they see you, you can toss the body in front of them and they'll like charge forward and run into each other and blow up. So what's weird is that even though it was such a wacky off the wall style, it still worked out. You brought up a good point, which is uh, more than just letting people be creative, introducing this kind of widely optional gameplay. I, I feel like wouldn't it allow many more players to be able to do it in the first place than might have been able to previously? I mean, you've, some people are so entrenched in a certain style of play, they might not even be able to do a, a different one very well. Oh, absolutely. And um, that's been one of the most interesting things in designing this game is that, you know, thinking through things and solving problems almost sounds like a puzzle game, right? Hmm. But it's like fast paced action puzzling where when you do something clever, it What it does is it reduces the danger. It solves a situation kind of in the same way that killing an enemy in a straightforward action game solves a situation. So like I designed rooms thinking about all the different ways you can solve it. So maybe if you have the acid, you can get through this wall and avoid the laser. Or maybe you can shoot the laser to blow it up. Or this isn't quite in yet, but I want you to be able to set things on fire and fill the room with smoke, which diffuses the laser. Or um, just all kinds of different things. 
cut a wire to close a door on the laser. Yeah. I mean, watching this on stream will be a blast in itself, I'm sure. And it's also procedurally generated. So, um, like I said, it's it's definitely a harder game, and people die a lot going through it. But because the levels regenerate and reconfigure, it you know it's always fresh, and you never quite know what's going to be in the next room. So it um, keeps it more interesting, even though you're playing the same sections over and over. Do you uh, imagine this hitting, I mean, do you have a plan for different platforms for this or uh, is that sort of in the future? Um, For the start, I'd like Linux and Windows and, um, you know, I'd love to expand it to um, consoles and different platforms at some point in the future. But right now we're focusing on the PC release. Do you picture working on additional content after it comes out or sort of letting it stand on its own? You know, I would absolutely love to expand the scope of the game after the main game comes out. So like, um, I've been talking with this a lot lately and the biggest things I like to add would be more endings, a few more areas and also a lot more um, post-game content where maybe there's more challenge modes or you're going through the old areas in new ways. And this allows you to unlock like even more endings. I like that. Because this is the kind of game that once a following is established, they're probably not going to leave you alone for a while. I think, I think you'll develop very loyal players this way. I do have a um, already a testing community built up around the game, but I would really like to expand that. So, like, if anyone's listening who would like to be led into the closed beta and, um, you know, maybe stick around in the community and hang out and give some feedback, you know, I'd love to have you. Nice, nice. Uh, I have to ask, because this has been in development so long, uh, what is the technology like that you use to create the game? And has it been sort of difficult uh, to to use it over that long a period of time, if that makes sense? So I use um, Unity as the engine and I design a lot of 3D models in Blender. And um, definitely I've gone through a few different Unity upgrades that... Um, Basically, every time you upgrade Unity, a bunch of things break. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, I really like to just stay on the stable long-term service versions yeah. and jump forward every now and then if there's something I really want in the new version. Um, but usually it's like a week of work to resolve all of the problems that upgrading created. At least, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I've also gone through a new version of Blender since I started this. So Blender 2.8, which I used to make the 3D models, is it's a significant upgrade, but it also really changed the way it does things. And there were a few compatibility issues with old 3D models from the previous version of Blender. Yeah, I, I feel like I first picked up Blender because these are those are the tools I mostly use myself. And I, I must have started in Blender 
in like 2003. I mean, it was forever ago. And even having spent that amount of time in it, I feel like upgrading is still terrifying to me because I have no idea if I'll be able to do anything at all. You know, there was um, there was a big adjustment period because they totally reworked the user interface and the hotkeys and things like that. And I basically have a setup right now in Blender where I can do all the things I was doing before. But um, just like figuring out even the texturing process, the animation process and the new Blender was a big jump. Yeah, this is this is about exactly what I expected to hear, because just having your tools kind of follow you for this amount of time. I don't know if there's I mean, these aren't slights against Unity or Blender. I don't know if anything would be smooth sailing over the you know five year mark. Everything is going to go through. You'll throw you some challenges, I think. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I just love using open source tools when I can. And um I've got nothing but respect for what the Blender team has done. And it's just such a powerful tool. And like, I don't think anyone who uses Blender even taps into everything it does because there's just so much it offers. Like you can do full video editing in there and just some all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I just started uh, getting a feel for the new uh, grease pencil drawing tools and animation tools. So I feel like I can pick up a new thing. I've used it for serious video editing in the past as well, but I love the sort of expansive uh, range of things you can do in, in the software, but that has absolutely taken a toll on the UI, I think. so. It's a bit of a... Um, there's just so much complexity when you're a new Blender user. Like, there's so many options that you can just get absolutely lost in all of the menus. And um, I think the, the biggest advice I give to new Blender users is just figure out the things you actually want to do and develop a total blindness for all of those menus. Because, yeah. um, like, you learn what you need as you use it but it's very easy to just get totally overwhelmed i i think that's excellent advice is uh keep the blinders on while you use it you know <laughs> oh yeah totally and you know um like with this long development cycle it's also um we've really been like refining our idea of what the game is and what the game does best over this time like when we started making it well, mostly when I started making it, um, my wife makes textures and we talk a lot about game design stuff, but I'm the main um, artist and programmer. Mm -hmm. um, so like the, at first I knew I wanted to make a platform that was on a hard science fiction rotating space station and that involved a uh, 3D printer robot that was trying to escape. But um, I didn't quite know like what that would look like. I started working in Game Maker um, just for like a prototype. And it wound up being that working in Unity, it was much easier to really make that work because in order to make a circular world um, that's block-based, where you have individual blocks you can destroy. 
you really need all different sizes of flocks because each flock gets narrower as you go up and you approach the center of the circle. Um, and the number of rooms per rain also changes as you go. So there's some areas where there's 64 rooms, a 64 room rain oh. above a rain where there's 128 rooms. Hmm. And like, that's just not really something I could do in a 2D tile-based system uh, easily. Yeah. So I wound up working in Unity. Um, and I also, when I started the game, I was thinking maybe it would involve more RPG mechanics, like maybe you can eat books to learn how to talk to people. You could eat computers to learn to hack systems. And as I played with the game more and really started putting the systems in, I realized that just using tools and these systematic physical interactions were really satisfying. And that's what I wanted to focus on. That makes sense. And, yeah. And, um, you know, I've also really refined this idea of, exactly how hard science fiction the game is like the ideal is that everything is totally realistic like um you know it's a realistic space station design where it's a giant centrifuge that simulates gravity by pulling everything outward from the center so a space station like that in real life would have a coriolis force where basically you could jump farther to the right than you could to the left. And like that idea was just, um, it's a lot to expect players to be able to intuit, especially <laughs> with the changing gravity, which is still in there. Yeah. And also some other things that I originally wanted to make more realistic, but wound up deciding that ultimately gameplay needs to come first. Like just being able to um, direct your jump after you've left the ground is something you can't really do in the real world, but you need to do in platformers. Or the way that bullets move faster than you can dodge in real life. That's much more satisfying in a game if they're moving slow enough that you can interact with their movement. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it's also something that other hard science fiction uh, deals with, too. Like the Expanse TV series is um, it's been doing things that I've wanted to see in science fiction TV for a long time, like um rotating space stations like the one in Creator Crate and spaceships that turn around halfway in their flight because they need to spend as much time decelerating as they spend accelerating. Um, but even that has a big gimme where they have basically magical fuel where the ships can just apply as much thrust as they need without running out of fuel. <laughs> and just accelerate at 1G forever. And, you know, I think uh, most hard sci-fi is like that, where you focus on 
the interesting, realistic things that add something to your world and, um, you know, make it more intuitive and something that you can really get your head around and imagine yourself living there. But when the story needs it, you kind of bend that to, um, to help the fiction. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could talk about this a lot longer, but because we're uh, running low on time, let listeners know where they can find the game and uh, where they can follow your work. You can play a free demo and wishlist the game at creatorcrate.net forward slash steam. And wishlists are super helpful right now. Like they'll really help for a successful release. Also, if you're interested in becoming part of that um, beta testing community I talked about, just send me an email at creatorcrategames at gmail.com. And you can follow the game's progress on Twitter at creatorcrate. Excellent. I would uh, I would definitely encourage people to check the game out. Uh, congrats. You've clearly been through a tremendously long development cycle and uh it looks like it's uh, coming to a close so that's very exciting and uh, we'll look forward to seeing the final product it's great talking about it and i'm really excited to be this far in development and i think it's going to be a great release very cool well uh, congrats on a great expo weekend and we'll look forward to checking in with you to see how things are going yeah thank you so much for having me on Let's pause right here to talk about our sponsor, AppFigures. AppFigures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now AppFigures can help you track competitors from downloads and dollar amounts to audience demographics and even which SDKs they use. Their competitor intelligence gives great context. If a competitor adds a new feature or gets mentioned in the news, AppFigures can tell you if that brought in more downloads. If you have an idea for a new app or a game, AppFigures can tell you how big the market is and how much money it can make you. That's just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your app or building a new one, AppFigures has the tools you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. You don't need a huge budget or a data science degree. AppFigures has made it affordable and simple, and they can guide you step-by-step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. Head to appfigures.com slash on slash gamedevbreakdown to try AppFigures for free, and if you like it, Use our special code GDB3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, jumping on. Oh, thanks for having us. Who, who wants to <laughs> who wants to <laughs> jump in and uh, sort of t- tell me uh, who you are and uh, what you did over the weekend at the Indie Games Expo? Oh, yeah, sure. So we are uh, Full Bean Studio, which is a uh, two-man studio based in Melbourne, Australia. And um, at the expo, we were presenting Operation Armstrong. So that's an asymmetric VR stealth party game. (laughs) So the person in VR is sneaking around trying to avoid detection. And all of their helpers are logging in through their smartphones, like Jackbox-style login, to try and distract enemies and navigate them through the level. So co-op in that sense. Think wow. like uh, Jason Bourne is the VR player, and everybody else around the VR player is the hacker in the ear. 
that's fantastic. That is uh, super interesting, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so uh, tell me, how long has this been in development? Um, so we started work on it properly um, at the start of last year. Um, we're both part-time working on it. This is our first project, so it's been a large learning experience, but it's really been coming together over the last year or so in terms of, like, it's looking good. Yeah, there's there's been a strong presence of um, party games and just uh, somewhat unconventional games, uh, especially at the Expo this weekend. I mean, that's... There's there's a lot of demand for it. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a little harder to play until we uh, sort of get the pandemic wrapped up. But mm-hmm. there's a yeah. there's a big big demand for this stuff right now. Are people pretty pretty enthusiastic about it? We 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 chose this project out of uh, necessity. From like we we both have VR headsets and we've both taken them to parties and had them at parties, and it very much feels like everyone gets super excited. It's like VR, that's awesome. They put the headset on and then they're just dead to the world and everyone's waiting for their turn. Um, so we really wanted to make something that would bring everybody together. And I still certainly think that asymmetric VR is really, there's a lot to be gained there. Like we need more games in that area. <laughs> I don't even really know a lot of other games like this. I mean, what what's kind of out there that maybe inspired this a little bit as, as interesting and unique as this is? I mean, what else uh, do you think about when you say that? Um Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I think the closest is probably keep talking, um, at least for us at the time, because that's got the element of, I mean, that's not even primarily a VR game, but it was something that people could play in VR and get everyone else involved. Um, but there's, a, there have been, like, we've seen some other asymmetric VR games come out since we've started development, which look kind of cool for the most part, though. I don't know if that was before our initial premise. It was funny, we had, um, like, when we first got onto Steam, there was, I think, only, like, four games using the asymmetric VR tag. Um, and that's grown over the course of the last year and a half. But it's been mm-hmm. interesting watching it grow, because it's certainly an area that needs more. Um, mm. oh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, Pana... Panoptic? Panoptic, that's it. Yeah. Um, that has... A very similar kind of like uh, it's asymmetric VR where there's the VR person is seeking out the non VR players using controllers and that's really cool. Yeah, mm. obviously I've never <laughs> I've not really done any any games like this. I I do have a VR headset. Um, I have played some of the uh, more Jackbox style party games, but um, putting those things together is something I've not gotten to do yet. So I'm I'm interested by this uh, this idea. How are uh, players enjoying this so far? How much sort of testing have you gotten to do with people? Um, we've been um, able to do a fair amount. Um, we have been showing it, uh, the major like PAX, uh, PAX Online and PAX Oz in 2019, um, along with some shows and throughout the year. Um, people really like it. <laughs> um, it's very easy to be like, yeah, okay, that's what that is. Um, that's a cool idea. Um, yeah, it's been going pretty well. It's great to see everybody playing together and laughing as they screw over their friends. <laughs> right. I mean, how, how do you sort of test that on an ongoing basis right now in terms of oh. like people not really being able to gather very well? Yeah, for the most part, it'll be um, friends over Discord or just us back and forth over Discord. Um, 
there's a during lockdown and stuff we weren't able to meet up but we're still able to do testing online and that's been okay it wasn't our initial premise for the game we didn't want it to be more of an online thing but we're kind of trying to make sure that's always possible um obviously after this year yeah no just routine um meetups with friends events like that and steam fest was good to get feedback yeah Makes sense. So you're uh, collaborating on this together. Do you sort of have functional areas between you or is everyone sort of doing whatever <laughs> is needed? Uh, wearing many hats. Yeah. Right. <laughs> both, our background, is, we're both programmers, met in uni. So it's certainly been a large learning curve for the non-programming aspects. Um, but we, we kind of stick, we've got some general border areas between us in terms of like this part of the code base, the part of the code base that Halen knows better. So he sticks to that area or like I don't intrude too much into the area. Um, I've been more on the design aspect, but at the end of the day, if there's a thing that needs doing and one of us is busy, the other one will step in and do it. Hmm. Fluid. Tell me about the technology you're working with to create the game. Sure thing. Um, We're using Unity for the game engine. Um, The web components, we're using um, Node uh, JavaScript server um, with a web app so that we can have that nice portability for the mobile side. Like, you know, you you can play on another computer if you want to. You can play on Apple, Android. We don't need to worry about making apps that's basically the nuts and bolts of it what's mm-hmm. going on in the background um we have a it comes with a level editor as well which i don't know if it's been mentioned yet so that's no, also that's cool. for user generated content which we figured it you know help with replayability and we could do it so we went for it <laughs> yeah that's kind of novel uh I, th- I think that'll be that makes it pretty attractive in terms of like you could do some pretty specific stuff with it uh, which makes it great for a you know bring your friends kind of event. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's um the, the immediate thing that people do is start just making impossible levels for their friends to just get caught <laughs> immediately or have to sprint through and <laughs> and I, I think people get like a sort of evil glee moment from. <laughs> well, it's like Mario Maker, but with your actual body. So that's yeah, <laughs> funny and also stressful. Oh yeah. <laughs> So, uh, did you did you say where we're at in, uh, is it released? Is release coming? Um, so, we're planning to enter a public beta ah. um, halfway through January, and then we're hoping to release about mid-year next year. All things yeah. going well. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. for, for a project like this, it sounds like you're making, you're keeping up a good pace, right? I mean, that's that's pretty good for, you know, this being the first type of this project you've done. Yeah, um, it's... Certainly, it's felt like a long time, but uh, as I said, first game, so it's very much like we're the first time we're doing this. Mm. Um, but we're we're looking, we're just about feature complete in terms of like the the hackables that we have and the mechanics that we want. Um, so it's really going to be next step is going to be polishing, <laughs> making everything really nice in terms yeah. of like playability. Um, so yeah, that's that's the game plan. It certainly has felt like a roller coaster or a ride. Oh yeah, <laughs> development wise. I think that's a hallmark of a good project. I mean, based on my experience, uh, everything's supposed to feel a little bit 
maybe nauseating at times. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly one thing that I never anticipated would be like the highs and lows of development in terms of like morale-wise. You know, you have high points and low points, and never really thought that, that would be how it goes. But <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. It's it's surprising. Um, even I've done solo projects that were that way. And it's weird when there's really no dynamic between you and like another collaborator. It's crazy how great it is at moments and then nightmarish at moments. It's like, yeah. I almost I've can't always, even imagine. I've, all, I've always been happy to at least have Halen to bounce off of. Like, I remember there was one point, it was after I think our second gameplay playtest. Um, and we'd just added online components and they had failed horribly. Like the interface was wrong. The, the connectivity was spotty at best. Um, and we came out of that session being like this whole cooperative hacking thing doesn't work. We need to pivot (laughs) and just like being able to bounce off each other and then coming to the conclusion of, okay, we, we might be stretching this a bit let's just do another test and you know fix the problem we saw Mm. and then saw that no no it does work it it was just like too many bugs in that test once they Mm. were fixed people enjoyed this it's okay (laughs) calm down i think if i was by myself i would have just gone oh no i need to change everything (laughs) yeah the the interesting thing on the solo side is if you're not working with a team at all uh, hmm. that dynamic kind of becomes you with the people around you who are not involved in any way at all. People in the house, people down the street. I mean, just anybody you come into contact with, it's like <laughs> they, they, it sort of becomes their problem a little bit, which is not, maybe not the best thing. <laughs> no, we, we've certainly kept each other on track, which has been quite nice. I think. Very nice. Uh, now I, I don't, I'd have to think about what hardware has actually come out since you would have started this, but I mean, new hardware comes out. Does that make you a little bit nervous? Like, how's this going to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we would, um, so we started, I think, uh, Rift S was just around the corner and thus quest was just around the corner. Yeah. Um, it, and now it's a case of, we're not currently like that release is just set, set to be PC, but it would be like a dream to eventually port that to quest and, um, PSVR, of course, <laughs> But that's going to require a whole other, you know, a, a, quite a migration step, I believe. Um, it, it has been nerve-wracking being like, oh, okay, this is where the market's moving. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's all right. I've, I've tinkered with a little bit of quest development. Um, you would really have to do some work to, uh, I, I think, to even get started on PSVR. You can correct me if you happen to know I'm wrong. But uh, it seems like you would have to have an agreement in place with Sony to begin with. Yeah. The a, a project approval and all that stuff would have to be in place. And then, even then, I'm not sure what's next. If you have to have their special hardware or what happens. It was something that we, um, about midway through last year, we, we got on some, uh, like, a marketing team, Indie Bros, um, to help out with the marketing aspect since that's an area where you really don't want to fail. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> um, and they said that they'd reach out to Sony for us. And it's been very interesting hearing about how that communication works. Um, but yeah, at the moment, that's the only thing that I think would really 
perhaps put a pause on our release day is if we want if we could get away with having a, a PSVR port which yeah we'll see we'll see it's uh, interesting mm. that you have marketing help this early i mean did they approach you or what happened there um they approached us um and it's like we we've heard the big piece of advice of don't leave your marketing till the last minute um yeah and after bringing them on we realized that we're going to need a little bit more time with releasing i think our initial release was planned to be at the end of this year and then we pushed to mid next year um so it gave us a bit them a bit more time i guess but that was okay <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. hmm. so tell me how the uh, how the expo experience went for you oh it, it was good um i took the first shift because it was uh <laughs> we were on australian time um and that was a nice i i really loved the um the physical space to move around in that that just uh solved the problem that i think so many like online virtual expos have, have suffered from the ability to still socialize with people in a way that's not super disjointed yeah um it, it felt like what pax should have had yeah just in terms of like a physical virtual space yeah mm. i wish they would have that would have been interesting to see at that kind of scale because i've i've covered other vr events they haven't been huge huge like the last one i did before this was a medium size there were probably hundreds of people doing stuff but to really see mm. at some point you you of course split it up into different instances of the space but i would have loved to see how they handled like a pax or uh you know a virtual yeah. gdc or something that would have been amazing I I, t- I totally get the uh, the scaling issues involved. It just it, I don't think they did it justice. The online format, I feel. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was really cool seeing it in action. Like actually having a three D space to move around in. It's really neat. Uh, crazy to think that they've only been working on that for like six months. See, really that's cool. what I like, said. I I know there's a real small team behind the event itself, and then. The guys who work on the uh, the virtual space, that whole platform, they've they've not been at this very long either. So I was, for what it was, like I was very impressed by that. Mm. It really, like, I think it's just amazing how much can get. Like, obviously, it's a matter of like eighty percent of the work, twenty percent. You know, the last twenty percent takes eighty percent of the time. Right. But just seeing how quickly they people can whip that kind of thing together is amazing to me <laughs> like insane yeah considering like it was like march when everything sort of fell apart and here we are finishing the year pretty strong in terms of um, obviously we can't go fly out to wherever and do our thing but um how much has that really stopped us from doing like we've we found a way most of the time yeah hmm. i think it's also really interesting just from like um uh international kind of perspective like i feel like there's been a lot of events that we've gone to that we like this expo um we would not be able to go um if it hadn't have been online just from the fact that we're in australia Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was an american event right um so i think it's certainly like silver linings i guess um at least yeah it's been really interesting times that's why I'm kind of hoping that 
the uh, teams who have started with their physical events who, and these guys had a long track record of doing this event every year, I guess. Um, but the ones who came forward this year and said, we'll do a virtual thing or even just an online thing. I, I hope people stick with that because uh, otherwise we're going to gain something for the year and then lose it immediately when things start back to normal. I, I, I do hope yeah. people keep it going. Yeah, it's it'll be really interesting to see how things go forward especially for like the big like like the paxes where it's like it'd be really interesting to see how successful they saw online versus in in person and you almost want both right (laughs) it'd be nice to have both (laughs) Um, yeah i don't see why they shouldn't you know yeah yeah especially for uh, groups throwing together like our annual summer thing well now do a fall thing or do a winter thing um no no reason we we shouldn't have uh like i'm I'm hoping everybody saw the experience of like hey we got to have you know this team from australia show us their thing we never would have got to do that otherwise you know i I think people are going to see the value in that and um now these events bring in millions of dollars of course so i'm sure they're going to keep doing them but uh <laughs> i i do hope they do both that, i think that's well well put so um supposing this goes well uh do you do you think you'll keep changing things up adding features move on to something else what do you what do you kind of see in the future well i mean we'll we'll be going off of beta feedback as well to see how much more work we want to do on this game in particular, but we have um, tossed up the idea of the next project using the same infrastructure because that's mm-hmm. where a lot of our time investment has gone is setting up the whole phone VR websockety infrastructure. Um, so we, we've we've tossed up the idea. Everyone was super excited for um, that. All people have brought up they want competitive smartphones versus VR gameplay. So we've been throwing around ideas for maybe something along those lines after this game. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we we've got uh, you know loads and loads of ideas that we'd love to pursue, but we're just trying to see where we where we're at with this in the middle of next year and make our decisions then. Yeah, it's I mean it's a super cool thing. I I'm embarrassed to say like I I didn't really know about any of the games that did this kind of thing with uh, smartphones and and uh, VR, but I I don't see any reason that this wouldn't be wildly popular. I mean I would love if somebody brought their hardware to an event or of course I have my own here. I just happen to have uh, a quest in my case, but that seems like a fantastic way to spend uh, an evening with friends. And uh, for that reason, I think especially when we're all in person again, which hopefully is very soon. uh, Fantastic. That'll be a great, great way to uh, spend a night. That's uh, we, that's what we want to hear. We're really happy with the, idea behind the game and we do think it has legs obviously testing that with the release of this but we'd love to keep on working on this space because it's just fun with friends yeah Mm. nice so uh let listeners know where they can check out the project and your work in general um yeah so operation armstrong on steam is our our go-to landing page um we as we said, we've got the open beta in mid-gen. So if people are looking to get on board with it, they can actually give it a play then. Um, other, any other locations, we're, Jay? Uh, we're also active on Twitter and Instagram um, at Full Bean Studio. Um, 
that's our tags. Um, yeah, come check us out. Um, see what you think. Hmm. Outstanding. So uh, congrats on, on your work so far. Clearly very cool stuff you're accomplishing. And uh, I will definitely check it out because, again, it caught me totally by surprise with this idea. And uh, I love it. I think that's great. So congrats. And I'll look forward to seeing how you guys do with it uh, as as you get closer to uh, release. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much to our guests. If you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, I would love to have you subscribe on the platform of your choosing. Hit that follow button on Spotify, drop a rating and a review on the Apple side. We have show notes at CodeWritePlay.com. We are all over social media at GameDevPod on Twitter at CodeWritePlay and me, Todd Mitchell, at MechaToddzilla, 1D and 2Ls. Love hearing your feedback. Reach out with topics, what's on your mind, what you're up to, and we love talking about that stuff too. So more next time. Take care of yourselves out there. Keep working hard. Keep making us proud. And I will catch you next time. That moment, nothing mattered in my life more than seeing my three initials at Lakeside with a high score. But now I'm older, there's no quarter to resurrect the hit reset. It's either game over or success. I'm walking towards a light, bright, no regrets. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>